Welcome to the Crop It Like It's Hot podcast, brought to you by Arable Farming Magazine and the Crop Tech Show, and hosted by me, Alice Dyer. Agriculture is both a hard industry to recruit in and a notoriously hard industry to get into if you're not from a farming background. And with the UK facing a cost of living crisis, the prospect of supporting good employees may be daunting. But there are many things farm businesses can be doing to help both attract and retain good staff. So in this employment-focused podcast, I've got three great speakers who are going to tell us how to be both a standout employee, a top employer, and we're also going to look at the various training and continued professional development routes that are available within the arable sector through BASIS. So without further ado, I'm pleased to introduce my first speaker, David Back, who is a labour auditor for his own company, DB Compliance, and he helps farms make sure they're offering the best terms and conditions for their employees. So Dave, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Um, The first place I wanted to start, because I think it's interesting hearing everyone's various routes into farming and agriculture, Um, But I just wanted to get a bit of background on you. Um, You know, where did your career begin and how has it led you to what you're doing now? Okay, thanks, Alice. Thanks for uh, for the opportunity. Um, DB Compliance Limited. So I set up my business at the end of 2015. Um, My background was about about 20 years in soft fruit mainly. Um, Also worked for some uh, arable and potato poultry farms as well in the UK. Um, I started off in soft fruit from the ground, sort of supervising workers and worked my way into the management team. Uh, got into technical as well on one of the businesses that I worked for. I spent uh, four years working for one of the large labour providers with seasonal workers in the UK, which was uh, part of the, the Young Farmers Clubs um, or affiliated. Uh, then I got into audit audit prep work, farm assurance, BRC, that sort of thing, helping businesses get ready for audits. And then the other part of the business is obviously um, auditing for the labour market. So that's working and auditing for labour providers, uh, the current SWS uh, scheme. So um, that keeps me busy this year, about 300 audits a year, roughly. So you very much experienced labour from both sides in that you were an employee and an employer, and now you're obviously an advisor. Um, and I guess farms, like a lot of businesses, often struggle when it comes to employment or retaining staff. So I kind of wanted to focus this on how farm businesses can stand out from the crowd um, as an employer. And I guess a lot of us might think that the be all and end all is salary. But do you think that that's the case? Or are there other aspects to people's work lives that they might prioritise when it comes to sticking in a job absolutely i think the key for most obviously that we've seen is uh, is obviously good wages um it's a big attraction part of the part of the being in the, in the job role there are good salaries to be earned at top end but um everyone starts at the bottom unfortunately on the on the lower wage rates but i think other things that have attracted uh, attracted stuff they want job security uh consistency of hours um not too many, but obviously, uh, and I know that's difficult to say in, in arable for sure. Um, 
but not too few as well. I think, you know, targeting 40, 48 hours is what most people were looking for, but obviously it'll be a lot more than that in the industry. Um, good reputation for the businesses. Um, if, they're, if they're a good friend, they get a good friendly welcome from the, from the employer um, and, and the, the employer being ready to receive the worker is also quite a, an attractive thing. Um, what, what I mean by that is um, being ready for the worker to start work, having good induction, good uh, good team around them based multilingual if needed, uh, friendly, fair, and uh, experienced sort of middle management, I guess. Um, other things I have come across, honesty in the job description, I think is really crucial. Um, when they arrive at the job, they, they get told they're going to do something and then make sure they're doing that and not something completely different. It does uh, detract from the, uh, obviously, from the job. Yeah. And back to the induction thing, I would 100% agree with that in that, you know, when you, you start a job and you don't really know what you're doing, so you're obviously new to the job, and then if there's no one to really tell you exactly what you're doing, it can be, you can make you feel like you're not doing a very good job or you know, it's just not the place for you and that you've maybe made a mistake in joining that team. Absolutely. I think, I think transparency is crucial. And do you think that this differs much depending on the level of the job? So, like, um, you know, a seasonal worker might be looking for something or more focused on something different than, say, a farm manager. I think so, Um you know, they, they're here for a, a seasonal week is here for a short term. Uh, they may have goals and targets in there that they want to achieve financially. And um, they're, they're all here for different reasons. Um, I've seen people work for six months and, and achieve or make enough money to go and buy a new car when they get home or, or put it towards a, a property that they've always wanted to buy, um, help out family. They've all got different reasons. Obviously, a full-time employee, um, is looking for something a bit more, maybe a bit more um, stability in a job role, uh, promotional opportunities in a business, uh, or just basic experience. And then in terms of actually keeping hold of those staff, because, you know, it's all very well finding them in the first place, but actually keeping them for more than one season, have you got any advice on things that businesses should be doing there in, in terms of, you know, either seasonal staff getting them back or just maintaining a good workforce um absolutely i think um you've got to, to to keep workers coming back or to to attract the right worker um good accommodation is always a, a good thing up front if you if you're offering it um obviously think about the seasons in the year and um is a, is a thin caravan wall going to be suitable for minus seven degrees that we do have occasionally in the winter uh and they get hot as well the other end of it um so appropriate and good accommodation is always a good starting point. Um, better welfare packages and employee employee engagement. Don't be afraid to talk to the staff. Um, ask them what they want. Um, within reason, you could probably provide it. And I guess um, one thing that people might want is training. Um, but one of the challenges for a lot of farms is that, you know, time is of the essence. There might not always be time to train your staff or send them away for training days. Do you think that's very important to most employees? 
Absolutely. I think any any investment in the worker up front is going to be worth it in the long run. Um, if you don't put the groundwork in, like anything, you, you don't get the reward. So uh, what you don't want to have to do is keep spending money on training staff because they haven't been shown it right at the, at the beginning. Um, a good, I've noticed a good employee will pick it up quickly uh, as long as they're given good, accurate training at the beginning. Uh, they're given all the information, then they will carry on uh, with hopefully not too much need for input from the from the management. Yeah. Okay. And then, what about feeling valued? Because that's kind of a hard thing to. I mean, you can't really put a price on feeling valued, can you? Is there anything that people should be doing to make their staff feel more valued or even just like small things that they could improve on that might make their staff feel more part of that team? Um, absolutely. I think, you know, everyone wants to feel valued in the job role. And I think um, it is difficult. Sometimes it's a language barrier. Sometimes it's uh, there's, a, there's a lack of uh, sort of like suspicion in whether the management have got ill intentions. Um, I'll give you an example of that. I guess is something like um, when they... Uh, if you were going to give them a week free accommodation, they'd wonder why you're doing it and you know, be a bit suspicious. And I think to make the you know to, to add value to the job role is is communicate. Um, why are they? Um, why they want to be involved? They if they've got anything to say to you, listen to what they're saying. Actually, listen to the worker. Um, make them feel part of the part of the family, I guess, or part of the business. Um, Get them involved in some of the some of the easier stuff if you can, um, but yeah, ask for feedback, ask for input into the into what their job role is. Make sure they understand it, and uh, and they will feel more value in the role. Yeah, I guess it depends on the individual quite a lot because some people will just want a job that they turn up, do what they're meant to do, and then go home. And then there'll be some people where it's a much bigger part of their life. Absolutely. And I know that a lot of um, more seasonal businesses are looking at bonus packages to retain staff. Have you seen much success in any of them whereby, you know, if they stay for the whole season, they get a bonus? And do you think approaches like that work? I think so. It's more, more so for the seasonal worker. Um, bonuses on top of minimum wage are always a good way to start. Obviously, everyone knows about piecework rates and things like that. And um, the opportunity to achieve well above minimum wage, for example, um, based on the units they pick. And I think if if there is an opportunity for workers to earn bonuses, and um, they, they will put a bit of extra effort in. In relation to sort of more full-time, I have seen uh, bonus systems before. Um, it could be simply free accommodation in certain months if they stay for a certain period. When I first came to the UK in 2001, I was working on a strawberry farm, and, and the incentive that I was given was um, if I stayed, I was supervising on a, on a farm, I flew from New Zealand. Um, they said, if you stay for three months, we'll pay for the, the amount of your uh, one-way flight from New Zealand to the UK as a bonus. So uh, that was definitely incentive for me in my first year to stick around for more than three months in the strawberry farm. Yeah, so things like that are definitely worth uh, considering for sure. Yeah, okay. And in that time, how how do you think that farm labour has changed or developed since you've been here in the UK? 
Yeah, I've seen a lot of changes, definitely improvements over the last few years. Um, everyone's had to pick up their games, especially in relation to facilities and accommodation. Um, wages have obviously crept up and crept up, and the cost to the farmers is pushing very hard on uh, on margins. But I think uh, when I first came over, it was it was a similar scheme. It was a SOARS-based um, work permit scheme for seasonal workers. Um and it was run by the Home Office. They had a team as well that um, would manage that scheme. Um, then obviously they stopped it with the uh, with other countries joining the EU, and, and there was seen seen as no need for the scheme. And then it's almost gone full circle and come back again in a different format, um, or very similar format, I should say, under a different sort of proviso. So that that's now run by DEFRA in the Home Office. So it isn't too dissimilar. The numbers uh, have gone up since um, since uh, the scheme started three years ago. We're now up to 45,000 workers in the UK potentially uh, coming in for seasonal work. So I've definitely seen massive improvements. Um, it is, from the auditing's perspective that I do on it, definitely um, a lot harder for a farm to pass to be accepted into the scheme there's a lot more paperwork a lot more control um the, the home office are scrutinizing the labor providers um and they now have to um to meet a lot of jump through a lot of hoops i reckon to to uh, to be a provider and the farms are then pushed a bit harder to make sure they've got everything in place so i think Deep down, I think there's definitely a lot of improvement because we've got those controls in place. It's almost gone down the route of farm assurance with it doing um, thorough checks. Yeah, and I guess it might seem like a pain to the employer at the time, but that those kind of things in place are actually help them retain staff in the long run. Oh, absolutely. I mean, no one likes an audit, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm on, I've been on both sides of the, of the table. Uh, one as an employer being audited and now I audit myself um, obviously going with quite a, a, an open approach to it and I know what the funds are going through so from experience it helps um, but I think it's definitely improving uh, culture, it's definitely improving the way that people are treated uh, because they know they're being looked at, it, at as employers now um, and I think it's also weeding out anyone who potentially could abuse the system. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to avoid, obviously, by, by doing these audits, we're, we're keeping out those um, those uh, farms, I guess, that, that don't really care as much yeah. for the workers. That is, a, is an attraction to, to young people coming out of college or university, going into a job role. They want to be somewhere comfortable. Um, they work long hours. 12, 12 hours plus, I guess, sitting in a tractor cab and they want to go home to a nice warm accommodation site and um, and and I guess they want to be rewarded for their for their work and feel valued. Yeah, fair enough. That's great, thank you. No problem. And next up, whether you're looking to find that dream job or you just want to be pushed further in the role that you're in, my next speaker is going to give us all the good advice on how to stand out when applying for a job and how to ask more from your employer when it's appropriate. I've got with me George Mallander of Recruitment Consultants More People and he starts by telling me how his career in agriculture progressed. Thank you for having me on. Um, 
my link to agriculture all started stemmed from my grandfather who was a farm manager down in hampshire back in the day so my summers um although not on the farm were spent with him um very much romanticized view of agriculture um i was always with him during the harvest um and then other key points during the year when i wasn't wasn't at school and that then developed into a love for the countryside and shooting more than anything else um then sort of that was my childhood growing up um i went off to harper adams and studied food science and when i left there i went back to live with my grandfather and me and him um, ran a couple of shoots between the two of us um, on a commercial scale and that's sort of where my real interest in agriculture started to kick in i'll be honest um, i really enjoyed getting involved with uh, the preparation of game covers and the agronomical side of it um, and that, that kind of spawned and then to be completely honest with you i broke my leg larking about um, halfway through a shoot season and it came the point where we realized that it probably wasn't that feasible to keep having me on um i needed a job that was going to be easy on my feet because it was the fourth time i broke my leg and i went tractor driving for a big vegetable company down in west sussex um and then held a couple of different positions in the world of agriculture since then um and eventually i realized that i probably wasn't probably wasn't suited to sitting in a tractor cab um, all day every day it wasn't quite for me and that's when i made the progression into recruitment mm, that's a very interesting career path and it just shows all the various different ways that you get into the industry yeah for sure for sure there's no one correct answer no definitely not um, so we've looked at things from an employer's perspective um, in this podcast but i also wanted to hear more from an employee side um, things and obviously you're a recruiter so very broadly speaking what would you say makes a good employee what should we as employees be aiming to be I think to be completely honest with you the most important thing you could be is honest um, that was something I always found in the certainly in the world of agriculture um, employers will suffer no falls and if you're trying to hide mistakes that you've made and aren't willing to put your hands up that will not go well for you um, so honesty is always the best policy um, when it comes to being an employee and that doesn't necessarily need to be just when you've you know you've made a foul up um, it goes both ways because you know if you're honest about your achievements then they're going to be recognized as well um, I think another thing that's really important is consistency. Um, as much as it's great to be able to do 15 hour days when it's needed or, you know, really push yourself past your comfort zone, um, it's also more valuable to someone as an employer when you're there every day when you're needed. That's more valuable than burning yourself out in a matter of weeks. Um, and people that are curious to learn as well. I think that's that's a really interesting point. Um, there's plenty of people that go to work just for the sake of earning money to live. But those employees that are actually interested in what they're doing and trying to figure out why they're doing what they're doing and have a better understanding, they're, they're the people that are going to go further in their careers. 
Yeah. And I guess, generally speaking, in agriculture, people tend to maybe be like that anyway, because you probably wouldn't choose the route of farming if you just kind of wanted a nine to five earn some money job, would you say? Um, I think for the most part, I think there's some people that are in agriculture just for the money, because you you know, you, you can earn good coin um, driving tractors and just keeping your head down like that. But I think if you want to progress past the point of, you know, operating machines, you've got to got to take a real interest which like you say most people do so that answers that one okay and you must see a lot of cvs every day um so what do you think really makes a cv kind of stand out from the crowd how could someone potentially looking for a new job make themselves particularly alluring to an employer that is a very very good question um i think there's two ways of doing it. Um, One, and this is really important, it's something that drives recruiters and employers up the wall, is um, the formatting, for one. If you've got a CV that looks nice and uniformed and is laid out nicely and clearly, then it's much easier to read and people will actually read it as opposed to just getting fed up and annoyed. Um, So they're not necessarily going to miss out on the content that you've put in there. Um, And then I think the other key thing, and it's probably as important, if not more, and it's a way of standing out, rather than just listing responsibilities, um, and I mean, you see this all the time um, in agriculture, you know, um, cultivation, uh, drilling, or familiar with this particular machine, can drive a John Deere and a a New Holland, I'm familiar with Green Star, um, an RTK, and all the different operating systems. That's really good that you've got that experience. But what is more valuable, I would say, is getting your achievements down um, and making it more focused on that side of things. So to give you an example, um, let's say you were working on a farm and you wanted to change the way that cultivation you know you're responsible for cultivation but you you should see there was a more efficient way of doing the whole process whether that was changing the tire pressures or you know it can be the silliest little things but if you can put that on paper that you've changed something or you've done something with a consequential effect in a positive light that will look more valuable and more appealing to an employer than just listing that you've been cultivating. Yeah, definitely. I guess, yeah. And in terms of like, I guess you don't really get taught much about CV sort of past school age, do you? So when you're at school, you get told what should be on it, but then you kind of go out into the real world, get lots of jobs and then kind of forget all that. So like how long should a CV be and what what things should be included and not included? Because... I mean, I probably wouldn't put my GCSE results on a CV now, but I don't know. Is that something that should still be on there? I don't think there's one right or wrong answer in terms of how long a CV should be, because so long as the experience is relevant, um, I think it should be on there. I, I do agree with you. You know, if it's a particular position with required qualifications, then someone might not be interested in seeing your GCSEs, although it's not going to hurt to have them just sat at the bottom in case somebody does want to see them. Um, 
think that's probably a fairly sensible answer. Yeah, okay. And then what about an interview stage? How can people stand out during the interview process? Now, this is key because your CV is what makes you stand out with your experience um, and the interview is where you can really sell your personality um, because, you know, you can't put your personality on a piece of paper. So I think more than anything else, um, and this may not be a way to stand out, but I think it's a, a vital part of um, the way you should conduct yourself in an interview is be yourself. There's no point trying to pretend to be something that you're not. Um, I think that should always be the first thing. Um, and then in terms of actually standing out, good preparation. Um, have interesting questions lined up to ask your prospective employer. Now, whether that would be asking the employer what they think a good candidate would look like or how, how would the correct candidate approach this particular job within the role. I think those those sort of questions are what make you stand out from everyone else. Okay. And you mentioned earlier about um, experience and things. Obviously, a lot of jobs in ag require previous experience doing certain things. I always think it's a really difficult one for people that don't have a lot of experience in agriculture or they're maybe not from a farming background because it's really hard to get experience and few people have time to offer experience so say if I saw a job that I thought I would be really good at but I maybe didn't reach the criteria should I still apply for it and just be honest and say I can't do this but I'll give it a go or do you think you know maybe just stick to what you know no I don't think you should ever stick to what you know um if you don't go out and push yourself and challenge yourself then you're never going to develop there's always somebody that's willing to take a chance on someone if they've got the right attitude because at the end of the day your attitude will go further than previous experience i would i would suggest if you're willing to learn you get a lot of very good cvs come through the door um and more more than anything else it, it tends to be about matching personalities um in the world of recruitment because for the most part and there is obviously the exception where people come from out of agriculture um but most people are pre-qualified because they are from the industry. So it is more just about finding out whether that role is going to suit them in terms of work-life balance or um, the particular way of thinking within a business or a farm. Yeah. With the previous speakers, we've talked a bit about employee benefits and things like um, training and development. If a person isn't getting that from their employer, how can they ask for that or... Or even things like pay rises, how would you suggest someone approach that with their employer? Um, that's a very good question and it's particularly challenging for a lot of people because it's a it's a pretty hair-raising thing to go and ask your boss for more money. Yeah. Um, I to totally appreciate that. Um, I think the best thing you can do is be very stark and candid around the topic. Um, and a way that I've always liked to do it is talk about how it's going to benefit the employer. Um, you know, if you go to your boss and say, look, I would like you to put me on my, you know, I would like you to register me for Neroso or I want to go through my PA 1, 2 and 6. This is how it's going to benefit you. 
and I think because that's going to benefit you, I think I should be fairly compensated for it. So make a case for how it's going to benefit them in the long run. Why is it going to be better for the boss to pay you more? If he pays you more, are you going to be more interested in the role? Are you going to have more of a level of commitment when it's nine o'clock on a Saturday night, all your friends are in the pub and you're still out working? You're, You're going to feel better about yourself and more happy in the in the job that you're doing if you're feeling well compensated and and thus I'm going to stick about for longer. Yeah, all about feeling valued. All about feeling valued, and that that value should be reflective for the employer as such. Yeah. And finally, from an employer's perspective, um, do you have any kind of words of wisdom that you can offer there in terms of? how to attract or retain staff? Um, I think a big thing more and more now um, with sort of social mobility has increased an awful lot in the last few decades. Um, I think employers need to be fairly respectful of the fact that people don't want to sit on a tractor, let's say, for instance, for 15 years before they get to do anything else. So I think from the beginning there should be an element of an employer selling a career journey rather than a job at the interview getting them excited and in in terms of retaining someone you know if if there is an opportunity for you know you're thinking about um, succession in the coming years or you know the farm manager is going to be leaving because you know he wants to head back to the other end of the country in three years' time, don't be scared to tell that to the person that you're interviewing at a tractor driving level. Get them, Give them something to be interested and motivated to work towards because I would be a lot more vot- motivated. I'm sure you probably would in a job if you knew there was an opportunity coming in a few years' time than just knowing that the job was the job and that was the lot for the rest of time. Yeah. You know? Roll out the carpet and make them feel special. Um, you've got to you've got to remember that it's a very much candidate-driven market at the moment as well. Um, candidates are likely probably going to have two, maybe three different options on the table that they'll be pursuing. So, as much as they're coming to work for you, you've got to make it you've got to make it stand out from the other jobs that are out there. Yeah. But then on that, I think it's really important that employers also deliver on those promises because I know, I mean, a lot of my friends have been in situations, particularly with kind of farm employers, and they make these kind of empty promises and like dangle a carrot, but then I guess motivation is lost because it's never delivered. Never delivered. And I think that comes back to the point that we were making earlier about what makes a good employee. It goes both ways. It's consistency, consistency and honesty. Yeah. Um, and you know unfortunately there are those businesses those farms that make empty promises and don't deliver but it will only go on for so long because as you all know and as everyone knows in this industry it's a very small world and a bad bad reputation travels very fast yeah very true okay that's brilliant thank you no problem 
Now, finally, being a member of the Basis Register is the foundation for many roles in arable farming, most notably agronomy. But more farmers are getting involved in a bid to gain an even deeper understanding of their crops and soil. My final speaker for today is Jade Prince of Basis, who is going to give us an insight into the opportunities and continued learning available through Basis training. Jade, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Um, so the first question that I'm asking all of our speakers is what is your route into the world of agriculture and how did you land the role that you're currently in? Yeah, so I'm not actually from an agricultural background. I did an environmental science degree at the University of Birmingham, uh, following on from an interest in biology, chemistry and geography at school. Uh, I got my first graduate position working with a company that sold and transported biosolids uh, on behalf of a water company. Uh, my role was to sell the biosolids to farmers who could get an agricultural benefit from the material uh, and then arrange the logistics of the delivery. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, I'd get really excited to see the combines go in because I knew that the spreaders would be next. Uh, it was the busiest time of the year, but it was great to see the year's work um, being spread on the fields. So after this, I moved away from organics um, to the actual commercial waste industry uh, in business development, completing waste audits and putting waste collections in place. But I really missed the agricultural industry and jumped at the opportunity to move to Basis and back to the industry that I love. So I'm now business development manager at Basis. Nice. Yeah, agriculture is like that, isn't it? And that it kind of gets under your skin. And once you've been involved in it, it's hard to move away. Definitely, yeah. So I wanted to look at um, the future of agronomy and that kind of continued professional development aspect that Basis offers. Um and so where do you think things are heading with BASIS at the moment in terms of, you know, registrations? Are you seeing more interest in, in people wanting to do their BASIS? Is it relatively static? Because I'm always hearing from, you know, agronomy companies that they're finding it hard to recruit people. Yeah, we're definitely seeing more and more interest in the sort of portfolio of BASIS courses. Um, so this year we launched our first self-paced sort of online e-learning course, Principles of Sustainable Land Management. I think that since COVID and the lockdowns, people have um, got more on on onto sort of online e-learning. Um, so it's become more popular. Uh, so we've had a huge uptake for that uh, from a range of different people, from students looking to get a bit of background knowledge before pursuing their career, to really experienced people within the industry who are looking to get a recap of things that they might already know. But those things that we all just need reminding of now and then, and also staying abreast of all the changes that are happening in the industry. Um, this year, we've also launched a new register, the Environmental Advisors Register. We've had really, really great interest in that, huge uptake. Uh, everyone on the Environmental Advisors Register gets listed um, on our online directory, offering a facility to find an accredited and trusted professional who can offer environmental advice, something which is of growing importance as the new SFI standards continue to be announced. So I think, as you say, um, the sort of agronomy route has stayed fairly steady, um, but there's definitely an increase in the number of people that are getting involved with regards to an environmental pathway. Yeah, I guess there's two aspects there in that. One, people have much greater access to it when it's online. And two, there's so much going on in farming at the moment that people are just really trying to keep up with it all and, and know what's going on. Definitely, yeah, definitely. And where do you think... Um, you know, the kind of interest is coming from? Do you think, as I say, you know, more farmers, they want to understand their crops better or be maybe more independent? Um, or is it 
Is it more kind of just the general industry? Yeah, so I'd say that interest is coming from from farmers increasingly. They obviously want to get a deeper, wider understanding of what's happening in their soils, in their crops, and, and within these schemes. Um, it's great because as the industry goes through the most significant reform of agriculture policy in decades, the more knowledge that farmers can gain, more effectively they can participate in the schemes, um, adjust to the continuing changes and plan for the future. Obviously, new agronomists continue to go through the certificate in crop protection as it's a legal requirement for all agronomists. Um, but the desire for new agronomists to get the full basis diploma has definitely increased. Um, it's a great opportunity to get a degree level qualification over time whilst they're working and a great opportunity to obviously continue professional development as well. Um, but for me, I think one of the most interesting areas of increased interest has been from machinery manufacturers um, who say they need to learn more about what's happening within the soils so that they can fully understand the benefits of the machinery whilst they're sort of designing and building and then obviously selling the machinery. Oh, that's interesting. I guess more people are realising that it, it all really ties in and that it's, yeah, it's, sort of it's a whole system of approach. Yeah. And I know this topic has been debated a fair bit recently, particularly at events like Groundswell um, and kind of in light of new regulations in France with uh, serviced agronomy and the roles of agronomists there. Um some people say that we won't need agronomists in the future because we're not going to rely on chemistry quite so much. So do you think that's the case or do you think we'll maybe need um, people that are very focused on soil science or environment? Yeah, I think there'll always be a place for an agronomist. There's so much to learn um, on farm and in the agricultural industry as a whole that there's no one individual that would ever be able to retain all that information. So I think that um, yeah, there will always be a team on farm um, to make sure we get through it all. And I think it goes without saying that agronomy will become more environmentally focused. Um, that's the way that the government's driving us. Uh, and more and more of the SFI funding options are obviously being revealed all the time. So farms will be looking for more and more advice in the associated areas. So soils for a start, moving obviously into hedgerows, IPM and, and more areas as they get sort of um, announced this year. So, basis I aim to support this, um, as mentioned already, with our Principles and Sustainable Land Management course, uh, but also with two new face-to-face courses that will be offered this year. So, we've got the Certificate in Air Quality and another one, um, Carbon and Climate Change Mitigation. Um, and there will be more online short courses coming soon too, um, offering a range of different course types so that people can stay, um, you know, training face-to-face where they want to, training online. Uh, yeah, allowing people's careers to develop with the changes that are happening in agriculture. So, so it's a very exciting time, I'd say. Yeah, I'd agree. And I always think being an agronomist obviously comes with its challenges, but for some, it's the dream job. You're kind of outdoors a lot of the time. You're able to really use your brain, and especially if you've got kind of scientifically focused brain. So do you think we as an industry need to get better at promoting it as a career option kind of outside of the industry? Definitely, yeah. So I think going back to my career path, um, the reason I moved to sort of commercial waste away from the organics was because although I'd worked in the industry, I still wasn't fully aware of the different roles that were available to me as options. So I think it's really important that we advertise not just agronomy, but the different pathways that are available for a career in agriculture. And like you say, agronomy is a high pressure role. Um, you're, you're given advice that can mean the success or failure of a farmer's crops uh, and their income. So you're essentially playing a big part in someone else's livelihood and reputation. Um, but, I mean, wow, if you can do a good job, the satisfaction's fantastic. And as you say, being outdoors whilst using your brain is, is the dream for some. 
I mean, I did some crop walking with a guanamist whilst I was training for my certificate in crop protection, and it keeps you fit. I was sweating, the next day I was aching. <laughs> <laughs> so you can definitely uh, save money on a gym membership, that's for sure. Um, but I mean, there's some great opportunities out there, some great companies that offer training opportunities for agronomy and advisory roles. Um, so if that's of interest to sort of your listeners today, you know, it's a fantastic way to start a, a career in agriculture. Yeah. And are there any initiatives at Basis that kind of um, maybe help new entrants to get onto Basis that might not have a lot of prior experience in, you know, crop production? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, traditionally, um, to, be, to be part of one of the Basis professional registers, uh, you're generally required to have done one of the Basis courses. But we do have the trainee membership, uh, which is open to anyone who may not have done a course yet provides the perfect opportunity to take the first step into an advisory role in agriculture. So through the trainee membership, you get access to our basis classroom. It's an online e-learning portal. It's currently got 14 different modules on there that are available free of charge, which you've got the trainee membership. And they range in topics from um, modes of action in fungicides to PCN and potatoes, topics that would be really useful to anyone considering going through their basis training. There's no requirement for trainee members to collect continuing professional development points, um, but it really gets you into the swing of things before joining a professional register. Uh, and then obviously it is a requirement. So, um, yeah, great to sort of be starting to, to get a feel of what you would need to do. It also, um, if you collect continuing professional development points as a trainee member, can get you one step closer to winning trainee member of the year. Um, that's an award that you can, um, one individual would win each year. It gets you free tickets for two to Groundswell, which you've already mentioned. Um, but it's also uh, wins you a place on the basis membership committee, which is a fantastic achievement to share, a great networking opportunity and would look great on any CV. Um, we also hold an annual trainee conference every year, um, specifically for our trainee members. Um, this year's, as an example, gave an insight to the basis courses, including an interactive session on the different sort of exam areas that you have to go through, including weed, pest and disease ID, little multiple choice and even a demo um, of a Viva which is like an interview that you have to go through to get your qualification. We also had a presentation on nitrogen use efficiency uh, and a session on career options as well. So trainee membership really is a great way to get involved. Like I say, it looks great on any CV if anyone's looking to apply um, for their first job out of university. And it's really good value as well. So definitely something for any budding advisors to go and have a look at. That sounds great. Well, hopefully some of our listeners will be considering applying. Hopefully, yeah, I definitely recommend it as an industry to work in. I've really enjoyed my time so far and, yeah, plan to stay within the industry for the rest of my career. And that is it for today's episode. We looked at a slightly different topic today, but still an important part of running a business. Next month, we'll be back with the technical topics, hearing all about how one farmer managed to smash not one, but two cereal yield world records in 2022. So thank you for listening and see you next time.